Audio is Matt Mosley, Matt Mosley Show. Let's go out to the ballpark. Jared Sandler standing by. And, uh, Jared, news breaking as we speak about the lineup. I mean, as if, as if things needed to get more fun. Um, I, the news comes down that Corey Seager uh, is actually playing tonight. And um, so, Jared, have you uh, – welcome to the show, by the way. Have you, have you secured the new lineup yet? In time, in time to present it now. I uh, I think I think we'll be able to get it done before the game. But uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely a little bit of a change, uh, but a welcome one. Uh, this is not quite Adrian Beltre coming back after three weeks following uh, an injury that was supposed to keep him out for eight weeks, uh, but not too far off. I don't think we thought we'd see uh, Corey Seager until maybe this weekend at the earliest. But the big surprise to me, Matt, is not only is he in the lineup, but he's playing shortstop. You know, we were kind of told he might uh, come back in DH for a week or so before he was ready to play short. So uh, the fact that he's able to do both, uh, a little bit of surprise and also significant because it allows them to keep Mitch Garver's bat in the lineup uh, because Mitch here of late has actually been swinging the bat pretty well. Man, this is uh, an exciting time. Uh, Corey Seager back in there uh, playing shortstop. Just put him in the two-hole and let this thing get going. Um, it, Jared, being around the players after these uh, trades, what's it? What is the what has the energy been like? Um, I just still I feel like there's probably that belief when a GM makes these moves, it just gives a team a jolt. I think back to those years ago, Cliff Lee. We didn't know how to act. Was it, stuff like that never happened. Uh, it has been a while since there's been a jolt quite like this. What's been the uh, reaction from the players and, and, and everybody that you're around? Yeah, I mean, excitement. I, I, it really started when they acquired Aroldis Chapman. Uh, that move happened about an hour and a half, maybe two hours before first pitch. So, you know, we didn't have any real opportunity at that time to talk to guys, but then, you know, that next day, uh, just, you know, listening, uh, to some of the conversations and, and observing the reactions, you know, it, it, it's exactly what you'd expect, uh, when you acquire a guy who frankly has been one of the very best at his position in his generation, you know, at the back end of the bullpen. And there was almost this, uh, you know, this mystique and, and this guy, he's a real person is going to come and play for the Rangers. And it was sort of similar with Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, it, for a lot of these guys, you know, there, there are a lot of young guys on this team. They grew up watching Max Scherzer back when they were still, you know, fans hoping one day to maybe sniff uh, college baseball, let alone, you know, making it to the majors. And so, uh, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's like a holy smokes, you know, Max Scherzer is on our team, but, when you get down to business, yeah, I, I think it's rejuvenating. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it gives them confidence knowing that uh, their general manager, their front office decided to, you know, go out and get them this sort of support. And uh, hopefully they can respond by uh, playing well because they, you know, they didn't play very well uh, leading up to the, uh, the trade deadline, losing five or six on the road trip. And now they're in a position as we speak, Matt, uh, they're tied for first place with the Astros after the Astros won earlier today. So a win, they maintain that, but a loss, uh, they're going to wake up tomorrow with the Astros in first place of the division. What does Scherzer, what was that, uh, that that first news conference, what was his 
What did he come across? I read some of the quotes, listened to a little bit of it. I liked his 100%. You know, where I'm finishing or starting the game, going to give 100% every time out. But the, the, the presence that we've kind of seen from afar, getting to see him, and you've, been, you've probably seen him in person before, obviously, but just kind of in, seeing him in a Rangers uniform and, and being around him, what was, that, uh, what was that like? What was his presence like in, in his messaging? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, he had the press conference yesterday, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you you hear about how he's kind of this maniacal competitor, like uber-focused, super intense on days he starts and then anything he really does, and you could almost sense that with his answers. I mean, he, he didn't really half, you know what, half, I don't know if I can say it, half backside any of the questions. You know, he gave... <laughs> really good, thorough, complete answers, and he meant business. You know, when he was asked what the last 48 hours were like, he gave a pretty detailed account of conversations he had with the Mets, and you could almost sense a little bit of smoke coming out of his uh, ears, out of frustration with the way, you know, that season unfolded and how things turned for them. So uh, I'm really excited to watch him pitch tomorrow. Uh, you know, I know that the numbers this year don't suggest that he's at the same form or level that he's been maybe – in years past, but he's still Max Scherzer, and there's a lot of reason to believe that uh, he's going to really help this rotation. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Jacob DeGrom, I know he didn't, uh, wasn't healthy for too long, but just seeing that guy pitch for the Rangers, and now you got another guy who's arguably, uh, you know, one of the two or three best pitchers of his generation now pitching for the Rangers. Uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, hopefully he's able to help this team not only on days he starts, but days uh, in between, just as an influence and a veteran presence. It's cooler when you're calling the games like you are, Jared Sandler. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of nice, isn't it? I mean, uh, uh, just amazing to watch all this unfold. And this is what we've always wanted Rangers and the Astros to be like. Mono y mano. They haven't always been great at the same time. And I don't know if they're great this year, but they're really, really good. And and to to now. I mean, the back and forth, Verlander, they go get Verlander. I mean, they're just kind of throwing haymakers even off the field. And some of it was almost on the field recently. Doesn't this give the rivalry even a little more juice or a lot more juice? Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, boy, you said earlier. Uh, when the, since the Astros have joined the division, the only two years prior to this year in which both teams were actual playoff contenders were 2015 and 2016. And the rivalry was awesome then. Now, uh, you know, maybe I, I say that because the Rangers ended up winning the division both those years, but there was a lot of intensity. There were a few benches clearing moments. Uh, you know, Colin McHugh throwing at Carlos Gomez. Uh, prior to that, you know, the, the Jeff Bannister pointing at the Astros dugout situation. I mean, they're just, there was an intensity. There was an importance uh, and, you know, rivalries at the professional level aren't the same. They're not as sustainable as at the college level. Uh, and so when you get a, a window of time in which one exists, it's really neat. And so, you know, I fully expect there to be a, a pretty impressive intensity in early September when these two teams meet. And, and the other thing, Matt, because of the new schedule, uh, you know, you don't play your division as much. So those games become even more important. And also, now that you don't have game 163, uh, you know, if the two teams finish the regular season with the same record in the past, you'd play a one-game playoff to determine the division winner. You don't have that anymore. And so uh, now it's about who wins the season series. And, I mean, the Rangers are going to have to sweep the Astros in order to do that. But, I mean, there's an extra layer of significance there because 
I mean, who knows? They might end up with the same record. It's certainly not uh, some crazy possibility. So it's fun. I, I think I think the bench is clearing the other day. Uh, you know, the the blood boiling a little bit. It's good. It's healthy. You know, I, I think it's great that Rangers fans hate the Astros, and I think it's great that Astros fans hate the Rangers. You know, sports rivalry uh, is fun, and I think it, it makes sports a little more enjoyable and entertaining when you can bring that sort of passion to the forefront. What did you think about Heaney's performance, knowing he could have maybe been headed for the bullpen, goes out six scoreless, uh, 11 strikeouts. I mean, he kind of made his case for, hey, maybe maybe think about leaving me in here. I mean, that was uh, timing on that was uh, tremendous. How do you see that situation shaking out with Martin Perez being a possibility, Heaney, obviously? What, um, where do you think that thing's headed? Yeah, so there are a few things in play. I, I think the guy of the three uh, whose names have been mentioned, Dane Dunning, Martin Perez, and Andrew Heaney, who has performed the, the, the worst is Martin Perez. Uh, but you also look at him, you know, what, in what way would he be able to help the bullpen? And, and I don't know, you know, he doesn't miss a lot of bats. The bullpen already has a lot of lefties. So maybe it's just kind of a long relief innings eater type guy. Andrew Heaney's someone who could maybe be more of a weapon in a, a small sample, but you know, I, I don't know that you want to just take him out of the rotation. And Dane Dunning is a righty, and the bullpen needs righties, but he's been the best of the three of them. So I don't know that you can make sense out of taking him out of the rotation. So my guess is right away, uh, as long as John Gray's healthy, Martin Perez will go to the bullpen. Just a guess, just a hunch, and they would use him in one of those long relief, multi inning, maybe mid inning type uh, type situations, but. You know, there's no doubt that there's still a lot of focus on the bullpen, and the Rangers need uh, someone to step up. And I guess there's always the possibility that they look at their rotation and say, hey, you know what, we can maybe go with Martin Perez as our fifth starter because we think that the net gain of Andrew Heaney in the bullpen might be more beneficial to get some swing and miss. But I think right off the bat, especially after Heaney's performance yesterday, we'll see Martin Perez going to the bullpen as long as John Gray is able to make his next start this weekend. All right, and then uh, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Stratton coming over from the uh, Cardinals. What did you kind of know about them before, and and how how big of additions do you think uh, they could be? Stratton's numbers aren't great, but some of the underlying analytics suggest maybe he's not pitched that poorly as maybe his ERA would suggest. We don't fall in love with ERAs when it comes to relievers, um, you know, in that situation, what do you what do you make of those additions that aren't getting quite as much attention, obviously, as a Scherzer? Yeah, I, you know, the, the funny thing, we'll start with Montgomery. If you did kind of a blind taste test and just looked at Scherzer's numbers and Montgomery's numbers without knowing whose numbers were whose, uh, you know, you'd point to Montgomery's numbers as the one, uh, the set of numbers that would, you know, clearly be the, uh, you know, the, the better performance, the better level of production. That's not to say he is better, but he's, you know, he's had a really good year. Uh, you know, I had a chance to speak to Mike Maddox yesterday who had him last year in St. Louis for a period of time, and he just said, you know, the thing that kind of is a separator for him is his level of, of competition on the mound. You know, when, when situations are tough, uh, you know, some of these guys, they have a tough time, and, and they, I don't want to say they wilt, but uh, they, they don't do as well uh, when they're backed into a corner, whereas – According to Mike Maddox, that's something that Jordan Montgomery does a good job of, is, is sort of, uh, you know, stepping up a little bit when there's a runner at, at third base and one out, and, you know, that guy can't score. And just in those 
high-intensity environments, and he pitched well for the Yankees for years. And, you know, that, that's about as high-intensity, high-pressure as it gets. Uh, with Stratton, you know, to be honest with you, Matt, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of him as a reliever. I remember when he was starting for San Francisco, but the things that really stand out, you know, watching some, some tape and just looking at the numbers, uh, the numbers side, it's the spin rate and the fastball and the curveball and the way those pitches can play. Uh, but what I like about him is, you know, he attacks the zone. He's not, I don't want to say a, a direct uh, comparison to Will Smith, but, you know, no one's going to watch Will Smith and say, man, this guy's got nasty stuff. He just, he pitches in the zone. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't shy away. And, and that's something that Chris Stratton's done uh, when he's been successful. I don't know that he's going to be the answer to, you know, a tough, uh, stretch in the eighth inning from the right side, but who knows? You know, maybe he gets on a roll, gets into a rhythm. You know, I, I always think about Sam Dyson in 2015 when the Rangers acquired him. No one had any clue that that guy would end up being maybe the biggest addition to the bullpen uh, that season and, and be such a big factor. So maybe Chris Stratton can have a similar type of uh, similar type of uh, uh, impact, but at minimum, it's going to add some depth. And you know, I always think that we focus so much on, hey, can you protect the lead in the seventh, eighth, and ninth? And those are obviously important moments. But what about in the sixth inning when you're down by a run? Uh, are you able to keep it at a one-run deficit to give your bats a chance to catch up? And frankly, the Rangers in those situations this year have really struggled. They've seen a lot of one- or two-run deficits become four- or five-run deficits. And you know at that point, it becomes a lot tougher to climb that mountain. So I think in one way or the other, his addition is going to add some much-needed depth. Sam Dyson, remind me, did he have a beard? I mean, I'm trying yeah, to now like think back. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and he, redheaded. You know, when, yeah, he was good when he was acquired. Uh, no one knew who he was really, and Nick Martinez's brother was visiting from Florida, and Nick Martinez's brother unknowingly sat in the locker that was designated for Sam Dyson, and all the writers were waiting for Sam Dyson to get there. And they just all swarmed Nick Martinez's brother. And I think they started asking him questions as if he was Sam Dyson. And, you know, Nick Martinez's brother's like, I, sorry, I don't think I'm the guy you're looking for. But, you know, that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, you, you see these guys, that's how much of an unknown Nick, uh, Sam Dyson was. And, you know, he, again, you look at his numbers in 2015, he was unbelievable for the Rangers. So, again, I'm not saying that's what Chris Stratton's going to be. But, yeah, you're right. You know, you said it, it's tough to just look at the ERA for a reliever and, uh, draw a ton of conclusions from it because of the small sample size. Yeah. Dyson might have been kind of funny. I'm trying to remember all those relievers. There was one of them that had a really Dry good sense, sense of humor. humor. That's it. Yeah, Dyson then he got was into that some guy. legal problems. Yeah, no. Ooh, oh, Dyson, ooh, ooh. Yeah, dry sense of humor, then some legal issues. Uh, okay. Uh, so I don't know that he's uh, – I don't know that I'm going to nominate him for stand-up comedian of the year, but he was uh, he definitely had a dry sense of humor back in those days. Yeah, they had the tall lefty came in there at some point, still pitching. You know, like the he had Deakman. Oh, Deakman. Yeah, yeah. He was interesting because he had colitis or something. He was battling, yep. but he was an unbelievable pitcher. Hey, what do you think being a Pac-12 guy? Or I guess you're a Big Ten guy now. Uh, former yeah. uh, uh, USC Trojan. I don't know if you're former. You're always a USC Trojan. Do you? Uh, are you kind of sad for the Pac-12, or are you more feeling like, well, this is the uh, this is the bed you made. You got to lie in it. What do you? What is your feeling as this thing looks uglier and uglier? Uh, now Oregon and Washington trying to get over to the Big Ten, Big Twelve uh, trying to get maybe uh, the all four corner schools, maybe get Arizona, Arizona State. 
Um, what, what is your feeling as you see this thing slowly seem to fall apart? I mean, it, it's both, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm sad that it's gotten to this point. Uh, you know, I think maybe less so in football because I do think they're going to be some pretty cool football matchups, and I don't really feel as bad about the travel. But uh, some of the other sports, you know, there's a lot of history with baseball in the Pac-12, and, uh, you know, there was an era where Pac-12 basketball was really good too, especially in UCLA's heyday in Arizona when Lute Olson was there. And so losing those, uh, those matchups stink. Uh, but it's, it was the Titanic. I mean, it was a sinking ship. Larry Scott, uh, you know, people ask, like, who's the worst commissioner in sports? You know, Goodell, Bettman, Adam Silver, whatever. It's, it's Larry Scott. When he was the Pac-12 commissioner, he absolutely drove that into the ground. And so uh, USC and UCLA, I think, had to get out. The opportunity was there. And you can see, you know, what the, the, the mess of the Pac-12 TV deal that, you know, unfolded yesterday it's just a conference that was becoming more and more irrelevant. They had uh, such horrible mismanagement, both just from a leadership standpoint, but also from a bottom line business standpoint. And so it stinks. But, I mean, I was relieved when, the, the, when USC got out of there because you just don't want to get stuck there and you get mired in irrelevant. So uh, I think you're going to see that conference fall apart. Uh, and there's no one to blame more so than Larry Scott. Wow, I knew you would have a take on that. Uh, you're very close to that conference, so and I like your ability to multitask. You've retweeted the new, the updated lineup as you're doing an interview, uh, which you know I expect from you. Uh, and uh, Corey Seager is in the two hole, uh, playing shortstop as you told us at the start of this interview, and um, and then uh, I guess Janikowski then moves down there to the six hole. Garver, as you said seven and then huff batting uh ninth uh this evening zeke's not in there all right dane dunning on the mound as we knew this is uh exciting stuff jared uh text me if anything else breaks okay here in the next few minutes uh, with tonight's lineup have a great call we'll be listening to you on our affiliate uh in central texas all right all right matt thanks so much for having me you bet there he goes jared sandler and uh, he's been calling the games, he and Matt Hicks, uh, for the Rangers uh, Radio Network, uh, joining us tonight as, uh, as things are breaking as he was on with us. Twelve minutes ago, Rangers updated their starting lineup. We knew that Seager was going into the lineup. We were just kind of confirming where that would be. He will be playing shortstop, and he will be hitting second, which is his familiar spot. And uh, that just kind of moves things. Uh, Josh Young will now bat fifth after Garcia. Travis Jankowski uh, drops down to sixth in the lineup. Garver seventh. Uh, Leody is uh, batting eighth. He's used, a lot of times he's in that nine hole. Sam Huff's catching, and he'll be in the uh, he'll be in the nine hole this evening. So, Aaron, I mean, you know, I'll love it when Heim comes back, but that lineup right there, even though I love Duran, uh, that's a that's a uh, that's a great look. I mean, you know, just to see Seeger back in there, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, the offense has been struggling the last probably ten games or so, and obviously, not having Corey Seeger in the lineup was a big part of that. So, hopefully, that'll change. All right, we um, we've got Dave Wilson uh, from uh, ESPN.com joining us next. <laughs> 